the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. There are people out there that are struggling, and like you said, feel like they have to take on everyone. And part of being a driving instructor is we want to fix people's problems. You know, it's it's one of the, the hard transitions for me going from almost instructor-led to coach-led is as an instructor, when they make a mistake, I just want to dive in and fix it and help. And that that's the, I think it's a natural thing for instructors and, and we can't now. So is, is, have you got any suggestions on how to, to manage that side of it? Like I say, feeling comfortable saying no to people or offering alternative suggestions or, or, or anything around that? Yeah, I I, th- I think it's 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 going to be impossible to not feel a little bit anxious or a little bit guilty about saying no to somebody when they're asking you for help. But practice makes perfect. You've just got to do it time and time again and have a, if you can, a stock phrase that you use in your head that says, sorry that I can't be your driving instructor right now. Um, this is what I recommend you do. This is where I think it would be a good idea for you you to go. Here is the website here. Here are some people that I recommend there. Um, I wish you well. Do take care. Once you've got whatever phrase is appropriate in your in your head, it can just just flow. It just becomes natural to do it. And, you, and eventually it doesn't make you feel guilty or embarrassed about saying no to somebody because everybody wants an easy life. Everybody wants to just to pick up the phone or send one email and boom, I've got everything that I want there and then. And that's not your fault if somebody else has got the wrong expectations. And I've had that many times over the years. As you could imagine, people, maybe they've listened to the podcast for four or five years and they're like, I really click with this guy. I don't need any other therapist. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to email him and see if he's available tomorrow for a therapy session. No. I'm really sorry. I I, I can't. Um, I, I don't have any availability, but here are some phone numbers and here are some email addresses and they're like, but I want to see you. And well, that's not my fault. And and it sounds really harsh to, to think of it. And as I say that now, I, I don't say those words in my head, but I guess that's the meaning behind my actions, which is, okay, their expectations are in the wrong place and that's not my fault. I have done nothing wrong. I didn't ask for that inquiry. I didn't ask to upset you. It's not my fault. And then I can't feel guilty because I think it is about guilt, that feeling of that uncomfortable feeling. And maybe that stems from, hmm, do we sometimes think, well, I'm not good enough anyway, so the more I do, the the, the better I'll be. Sometimes that can be, a, be the case. And we do need a little bit of self-analysis sometimes to go, am I good enough? Actually, as a, as a friend, as a human, as an instructor, as a coach, as an anything, am I already good enough? Do I have anything to prove? Who am I trying to prove that, prove anything to? My dad from 30 years ago? What am I doing with myself? And we all have that sort of process. I remember, I forget quite what it was. There was a couple of things that happened to me. And I thought to myself, that'd make my dad proud. And I thought, where did that phrase come from? What is that there? He'd have been proud anyway. No, despite 
you know, this all or not. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But still, as an adult, there's that childish phrase in my head that says, no, I want to make my parents proud because that's what we're... That's what I was born to do. And of course we're not. It just feels that way, doesn't it, sometimes? I think there's sort of the idea of wanting to help people as well is just natural for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I know that for, for the instructors listening now, the I, I think I'm doing what you suggested without actually intending to, um, because when people sort of message me, it's usually a message inquiries as well rather than ring. I'll generally say, no, can't take anyone on for, well, a minute, it's still December. So you're welcome to get back in touch then. But here's some resources. And I've got free stock resources that I send them. And straight away, I mean, we, you mentioned guilt a couple of times there, but straight away, I don't feel guilty because mm-hmm. like, I can't physically help you, but I can still help you with this. So maybe anyone that's listening now, if there's something that you can offer, whether, it, I don't know, like I've got my five minute theory podcast and I've got a group that I use and some other bits and bobs that I send their way. And that seems to relieve any guilt. Although it wasn't intentionally why, why I was doing it. So that's a good thing. And in fact, just on that, we're talking about tests and students and stuff. I think the other thing I'd love to get your opinion on is the pressure students are under. Now this is sort of a double-edged sword, if you like, in that normally if someone fails a driving test, it's sort of in the, in the good old days, you know, before 2020, you could retake it five or six weeks later. You know, often you could even get in a couple of weeks later. At the minute, it's six months. So that's added pressure. And one of the, the things that I mention a lot is sometimes coming to a driving test, the students feel that, start to feel the pressure. Yeah. And that's when I'd say, right, let's put your test back three weeks and we're going to work on those pressure situations that hadn't arisen before we can't do that now so i'm just wondering if you've got any i suppose initially uh, advice that we could be offering our students that are feeling that pressure but i suppose on the flip side then that's added pressure to instructors as well so any advice that you could offer offer us as well well i think it starts in some of the early sessions i i think it probably starts if you don't or if people aren't already doing it and i know when i learned to drive many years ago and nobody they didn't mention nerves or pressure or anything like that back in those days it wasn't until i became a therapist that anybody taught me any breathing exercises to help me to regulate my heart rate so that i didn't get too hot or didn't get too sweaty or didn't feel too nervous i didn't i didn't know anything about that until until i became a therapist until i trained as a therapist and i think why isn't this taught to kids in school? It's one thing to you know, stretch children's comfort zones, put them on stage in front of their, 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 their school friends in some assembly or something and do Oliver Twist or whatever. But beforehand, you need to teach them how to handle those feelings when they come into the stomach, into your muscles. Because when you, tra- when you transfer that into a car, we, we want... To be stable, we want to sit in that seat and hold that steering wheel and it doesn't shake. If we can teach people right at the start, if you do feel that your body gets a bit tight, gets a bit nervous, then you, you check it. Check your body before you put your seat before you actually put your seatbelt on. You know, are you holding yourself too tightly? Are your shoulders up too high? Let them hang a little bit looser. Are you holding your neck too tightly? Are you are, are you actually comfortable here? Are you gripping the steering wheel too tightly? And I'm sure you probably do that. But if you can just just relax that little bit and tell your body that everything's going to be okay, 
you've got a better chance of being able to regulate your heart rate when you take a few deep breaths from the diaphragm, deep in the bottom of the lungs, rather than the shallow breathing at the top half. The sort of stuff you've probably heard me waffle on, on about all the time. But if people just Google breathing exercises for anxiety, fight or flight response, all that sort of stuff, you'll get all these YouTube videos and clips and demonstrations of people talking about diaphragmatic breathing, how to regulate your heart rate, and you can hear it in the the, the, the the student's voice. You'll hear if they speak too quickly, you know that they're gasping for breath, they're gasping for breath, blah, 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 slow down. If you can teach them just how to soften the body, how to take a few deep breaths, how to feel in control of their body, then what happens then, it doesn't matter if, because beforehand there's this thing that says, yeah, but what if? What if I get nervous? What if I get scared? What if I start to shake? What if I get that feeling in my stomach? What if I feel like I need to go to the toilet? If if it doesn't matter that they get that feeling, because the answer is, oh, it doesn't matter, you'll be able to control that a little bit. A little bit of anxiety is good. It keeps you sharp, it keeps you focused, but obviously too much can be a hindrance. So they need to know how to find that balance in between where they can feel something so that it keeps them sharp and it keeps them listening so they don't wander off in their mind and they're thinking about what they've got to do later that day. They are actually listening to the examiner and they are watching the road. If they can find that middle ground with a little bit of anxiety, just enough to keep them focused, but not so much to make them shake, they're going to feel in control. And I think that's really important for people. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.